Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Thursday, October 31st. In today's news, the Nationals win the World Series. President Trump's nominee for the Ninth Circuit breaks down in tears during his confirmation hearing. And Twitter is banning all political ads. But first, the big idea. White House lawyer John Eisenberg moved the rough transcript of Trump's July 25th call with Ukraine's Volodymyr Zelensky to a highly classified server only after Army Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman came to him to express alarm. Vindman told Eisenberg, the White House legal advisor on national security issues, that what the president did was wrong. Scribbling notes on a yellow legal pad, Eisenberg proposed a step that other officials have said is at odds with long-standing White House protocol. He moved a transcript of the call to a highly classified server and then dramatically restricted who could access it. Vindman's account is the first known instance in which a witness before the impeachment inquiry has provided a firsthand account linking Eisenberg, a Stanford-educated lawyer, to the decision to move the problematic transcript to a highly classified server. House impeachment investigators last night announced that they've asked Eisenberg and fellow White House lawyer Mike Ellis to testify next Monday. They're unlikely to comply. After the July 25th call, Vindman said he literally rushed to Eisenberg's office, and he brought with him his twin brother, who happens to be an ethics attorney for the National Security Council. Ellis also joined the discussion. Vindman then read out loud notes that he had taken during the call. This wasn't the first time that Vindman had come to Eisenberg's office with concerns. In fact, three weeks earlier, Vindman and his then-boss, Fiona Hill, had gone to Eisenberg after a July 10th meeting in which they say that Trump's ambassador to the European Union, Gordon Sunland, had pushed two visiting Ukrainian officials to investigate Joe Biden and Democrats. Sunland's attorney said yesterday that his client did not mention the Bidens in the July 10th meeting or other discussions about Ukraine policy. Sunland and Vindman have offered contradictory testimony under oath. Tim Morrison is appearing on the Hill today and could corroborate part of Vindman's story. He replaced Hill as the lieutenant colonel's boss on the NSC. He's set to testify about what he witnessed and to ease the way for being able to do so because the White House is stonewalling. He has stepped down from his post after 15 months of service last night. Bill Taylor, the acting U.S. ambassador to Ukraine, testified last week that he first learned U.S. military aid was being leveraged on a promise by Ukraine to investigate Trump's political foes during an early September phone call with Morrison. In fact, Taylor mentioned Morrison's name 15 times during his opening statement last week. Taylor says Morrison told him he had a, quote, sinking feeling after learning of a conversation that Trump had with Sunland to exact what the acting U.S. ambassador has described as clearly a quid pro quo. Democratic investigators last night also formally requested testimony from former National Security Advisor John Bolton. They want him to come next week. It's unclear whether he'll comply. As these depositions continue, the House is on track today to pass a set of rules governing the next phase of the impeachment inquiry. The White House is whipping hard to prevent GOP defections. In fact, they're bringing people over to meet with Trump before the roll call vote today to lock them in as no votes and put the pressure on. Democrats are expected to lose at least one of their members, Congressman Jeff Van Drew of New Jersey. He's a moderate who was elected last year to represent a longtime Republican district. 
Nancy Pelosi's leadership team spent the day yesterday working a handful of Democrats who are also up in the air. One senior Democratic official predicts they'll lose two to four of their members. Republicans are worried about Congressman Francis Rooney. He's a retiring Republican from Florida who has found these recent depositions deeply disturbing. They think he might defect, but they're trying to stop him. Meanwhile, on the other side of the Capitol, Senate Democrats expressed frustration with Deputy Secretary of State John Sullivan during his confirmation hearing to become ambassador to Russia. Sullivan appeared headed toward Senate approval, even as Democratic lawmakers questioned his professed lack of curiosity or pushback against policies on Ukraine that he indicated he opposes. Going to the heart of the impeachment inquiry, Sullivan was asked whether it was ever appropriate for a president to use his office to solicit investigations into his domestic political opponents. Sullivan replied that doing so would, quote, not be in accord with our values. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar. Number one, with one more comeback win last night in Houston, the Nationals have won the World Series. A 6-2 victory over the Astros in Game 7 sealed it delivering the first baseball title for the nation's capital since the Senators won in 1924. The Nationals' chances of winning the World Series on May 24th, when they had a 19-31 and record, were just 1.5%. But with their backs against the wall, they stayed in the fight, and now the fight has been won after two more wins on the road. Max Scherzer was able to start after getting a cortisone shot. Seventh-inning home runs by Anthony Rendon and Howie Kendrick turned a slim deficit into a slim lead for the Nationals. Rendon is an MVP-caliber third baseman, possibly playing his last game in a Nationals uniform. Kendrick is a 36-year-old veteran in the deepest autumn of his career. A tacked-on run in the eighth and two more in the ninth provided some breathing room. Take a step back and consider what these Nationals have accomplished. They notched all four of their wins in this series on the road, the first time that's ever happened in baseball history in the World Series. And they did it in the stadium where the Astros had the best home record in all of baseball this year and they outhit an Astros offense that ranks among the most potent in the history of the game. On a makeshift stage moments after the final out, pitcher Steven Strasburg, the overpowering victor of games two and six, was presented with the World Series MVP trophy. There will be a huge parade here in D.C. on Saturday. Number two, Lawrence Van Dyke, Trump's nominee for a lifetime appointment on the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, broke down in tears during his confirmation hearing yesterday when asked about a scathing letter from the American Bar Association. Colleagues, according to the letter, found that Van Dyke is, quote, arrogant, lazy, an ideologue, and lacking in knowledge of the day-to-day practice of law. That's what the chair of the ABA committee, who looked into his nomination, wrote after conducting 60 interviews with lawyers, judges, and others who have worked with Van Dyke, who's an attorney at the Trump Justice Department. Acquaintances who were interviewed by the Bar Association also alleged a lack of humility, an entitled temperament, a closed mind, and an inconsistent, quote, commitment to being candid, according to the letter. The ABA says Van Dyke is not qualified. Asked about his record of hostility toward LGBTQ rights, the nominee struggled almost 15 seconds to find his words. Then he started to cry. Democratic senators noted that he led the fight to ban gay marriage in Nevada as the state's solicitor general, and read aloud an op-ed he wrote in 2004 which argued that same-sex marriage hurts families, children, and society. He replied that his views have changed since 2004, and he believes all people should be treated with dignity and respect. Republican lawmakers called the ABA letter unfair and biased, and it looks like he'll probably still get confirmed anyway. Number three, Twitter 
will ban all political ads ahead of the 2020 election. The company's chief executive, Jack Dorsey, announced the move in a series of tweets, naturally. He stressed that paying for political speech has the effect of forcing highly optimized and targeted political messages on people. This ban marks a break with Twitter's social media peers, Facebook and Google-owned YouTube, which have defended their policies on political ads in recent weeks. Twitter's announcement covers ads intended to influence elections, including ballot measures, and issue ads that are of national importance. The new rules will be applied globally, published by mid-November, and take effect late in the month. The decision illustrates a sharp symbolic rift between Dorsey and Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg. On a third-quarter earnings call yesterday, Zuckerberg stood by his company's controversial policy that literally allows politicians to lie in their ads. Zuckerberg says it's up to voters to decipher what's true and false. And that's The Daily 202 for Thursday, October 31st. Thanks for listening. I'm James Hellman. If you want to get more news about the impeachment inquiry, you can now subscribe to a new podcast feed from The Washington Post. All of our audio updates on the inquiry are in one place, including the latest from The Daily 202's Big Idea, Can He Do That?, and Post Reports. It's updated whenever news happens. You can subscribe at WashingtonPost.com slash podcasts. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Thank you.